podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Did you know that yearly Medicaid renewals will start again soon? This means millions of people who were enrolled in Medicaid during the pandemic may no longer be eligible for coverage. If this may impact you, the good news is you have options. Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield can help answer your questions so you can find an affordable health plan for you and your family. We want you to feel confident you're covered. Click to learn more. Policy exclusions and limitations apply. Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield is the trade name of Blue Cross Blue Shield Healthcare Plan of Georgia, Inc. As always by Tony Haggerty. How you doing, Tony? I'm very well, Laura. Yourself? I'm not too bad. And in the mothership, in the kingpin seat, the podfather himself, Jim Orr. How you doing, Jim? Yes, I'm in the mothership today. I'm actually sitting in the seat of Russell Boyce sat on. I mean, I just kind of a dream came true. What can I say? It's not too warm, is it? Hopefully. It's boiling. It's, it's, <laughs> actually, it's actually roasting in here. I mean, Paul John Dyke. <laughs> Veins of ice you must have. It's like a sauna in here. But anyway, <laughs> on you go. We'll crack on and get you out of that sauna as quickly as we can, Jim. Um, thanks everybody for joining us today. Plenty to discuss as always after a week at, uh, in Celtic. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to start with our weekly guest the Celt. Thanks to everybody who guessed on Twitter. We had a few different um, guesses uh, with the extra clue that I put in there about it being a member of the Quality Street Gang who did not perhaps live up to his potential as much as we thought he might. Um, some people were guessing David Katanach, but it was obviously George Connolly who was the, the main man. Um, <clears throat> Tony, we were talking about uh, before before we came on that he's a little bit before your time, but, but more your dad's time. What did your dad have to say to you about George Connolly and what he was as a Celtic player? Well, my dad said two things about George Connolly or took the advice of two people on George Conley. One was Jock Steen and one was Davy Hay, but both said the same thing, that he was Celtic's equivalent of Franz Beckenbauer. I'm certainly not going to argue with that. And the way, the 69 footage where he takes the ball off Greg and walks down the goalkeeper, as nonchalant as that to make it 3-0 and kind of win the cup for Celtic that day. Uh, you know, these are the things that you see uh, on on the camera and that's the kind of footage that I've relied upon when it comes to George Conley and his goal against Leeds side footer in the first minute you know that kind of thing but my father told me he was an exceptionally gifted footballer and uh, an, an immense talent but just as you say never fulfilled his potential for various reasons and uh, but it was wonderful I was reading about him and he went he went back to Celtic Park recently and he got a wonderful ovation and they get a tremendous reception. And I think it just goes to show that if you do something that resonates in the heart and mind of the Celtic supporters, you will never be forgotten. And I think George Conley did some wonderful things in the Celtic jersey. They were maybe too infrequent. Jim will be able to help us on that because he might have watched them live. But from what I gather, he was a, an immense talent and just for whatever reasons, just never ever fulfilled that, that potential. But could I would or should I think if you if you're referring to George Conley but he, again my father said he was a tremendous footballer and if you're being compared to Franz Beckenbauer in that day and age then you must have been something special Absolutely that's a, that's a pretty um Impressive comparison, I have to say. Having never seen either of them, but I know that I know the story of Franz Beckenbauer, obviously, and he's he's kind of become a 
a sort of synonymous with a certain type of playing role and, and you only do that if you kind of define that role so it, it sounds like a great comparison Jim as Tony said you might have more memories of him actually as a player um, and even though he didn't maybe live up to the potential that some thought he had he certainly did more than enough over 100 appearances for Celtic doesn't make you a bad player in any sense what are your memories of him as a player was he as gifted as everybody says he was? Of course aye I mean I think uh the George Conley story is quite a, a, a it's quite a sad story. I mean, uh, if you talk about not achieving his potential, he played for Celtic, he played for Scotland, he played a number of games for both of them. But the thing that got me was I've said in the podcast before about t- t- to be an elite sports person, but ninety percent of that is mental. And if you don't have it up here, then you're going to struggle. And and footballers in the main are kind of ordinary people doing extraordinary jobs. And they, and we've got no idea how difficult it must be to be able to be a football player. You know, you're playing against other players who are trying to make it difficult to do your job. Uh, you've got guys in your team who are trying to uh, do your job for you, get you out of the team. You've got 50,000, 60,000, in some cases 134,000 watching your every move. Phenomenal pressure to have to deal with that. And kind of sadly, from, from George Conley's point of view, he couldn't deal with that. But he was immensely talented. Uh, and his future should have been a long uh, one with Celtic and uh, he should have been the next Billy McNeil should have could have been the next Billy McNeil could have should have been the Celtic captain could have should have you know racked up 500 600 appearance could have should have possibly been Scotland's most capped player uh, Scotland's captain uh, Tony talked about the goals uh, before we were on there there the 69 goal the 70 goal against Leeds he also got a penalty kick and a cup final against Rangers in 1973 so, so mentally on the park he had no issues, but off the part, he kind of struggled. And that's the bit we don't see. We really don't understand how that works. Uh, and he packed it in in his mid-twenties. And I think he's in his early seventies now. So if you, you've had to live with that for the best part of 50 years, I mean, how do you how do you kind of deal with that? I think it's absolutely tragic in terms of what happened to George Conley. But certainly, if you, if, you, if, you, if you played for Celtic for 150-odd games and you played for Scotland a few times, then I think you've achieved a lot. But he could have achieved, you know, so so much more it's just such a shame because usually Tony tells the stories of people cry uh, but it's such a shame you know but he was a fantastic player yeah I mean to compare him to Franz Beckenbauer uh, is, is not an unfair comparison and for, for younger people tuning in think of Van Dyke. something like Van Dyke. he had the physicality of a Van Dyke. he had the quick feet of a Van Dyke, and he could read a game like a Van Dyke. and uh, he should be could have, should have been an all-time Celtic legend. And, and that's the bit about not achieving your potential. To play 150 games for Celtic and play for Scotland, I think that's doing pretty good. But you should be multiplying that by a, a big number. And uh, one of the games i seen him play was uh, uh, the time Scotland qualified for the World Cup back in, back in 73. And there were six Celtic players in that team. And he formed a really good partnership playing sweeper alongside Jim Houghton. Uh, he should have went to that World Cup, but he disappeared. You know, So again... We've got no idea, and there's obviously been other things happening this week with Celtic players. Uh, maybe head's not in the right place. We really just don't know. Uh, and it's just such a shame for George Conley because he was a great player, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, like you say, it, it says everything about his ability that he played over 100 games for Celtic. Uh, he was capped for Scotland and still people think he didn't reach the potential he could have that's you know as much as anybody can achieve for a lot of players but um, an interesting point that you raised there about you know the mental side of the game Kevin Banks on YouTube and thanks for everybody on YouTube Twitter and Facebook uh, commenting where we are live Kevin Banks on YouTube says if only the support that is available to people these days was available back in George's day the story could have been so different his autobiography is a great read and I think that's a <clears throat> that's a testament to the, the way in which we treat you know, off the field issues uh, nowadays compared to to back then. You know, players do get the support that's required, and it's realised that it's not all a physical game. Sometimes it is a mental game, and uh, you know, players need that support to to reach their potential. I think also, Laura, when you think about it, it's, it's not even just players who make it. Mm. You think about the number of players who you know, young boys, eighteen, nineteen year old, been in the system for you know nine, ten years, and they let go. Now, that's shattering. You know, you must, I mean, I played a bit of football in my youth, was never going to be good enough to play, but I played with guys I thought 
I'm better than them, but they actually made it. I know that I'm having a grudge or anything like that, but, <laughs> but, but there's loads of players out there, you know, who were of a decent level and didn't make it. And they must be looking at players, you know, who weren't as good as they are and thinking, I could have made that. And given the money that's sloshing about football, you know, and, and one of the other sad ones, since we're talking about sad stories, one of the really sad stories I always felt was John McCluskey, George McCluskey's younger brother, you know, he was going to be the next big thing. He was better than George McCluskey. He was a phenomenal talent, but I think he got was it a blood clot he got, and he had to chuck it. And I think he kind of he, he kind of fell away, and uh, addictions kind of then started to play a part. It must be shattering. I mean, mentally, how do you cope with that, knowing that you could have been, you know, the next big thing to be that good? And uh, George Collins had to live with that for the last fifty odd years. Difficult, difficult thing, you know. It's, it is difficult, Tony, when you, when you look at it in a situation like that for a failed footballer, um, or not, I keep saying that, but George Conley obviously wasn't a failed footballer, but looking more widely at the, the people that Jim's talking about, it, you know, most of us don't have to have the failures that we've had in life thrust back in our faces every week on the TV. I think that must be what makes it so difficult for, for players nowadays who maybe don't reach the top of the game or see a player that they played with who they th- perhaps think they were more naturally gifted than scoring goals every week on the TV. It, it must have an effect on your mental state, surely. The, the game's lifted with stories like that, as Jim says. I thought Jim was going to go all Marlon Brando on us there and he could have been a contender, you know. Uh, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. I'm sure he was a contender for the ability uh, and injustice. But, you know, uh, it's hard. That's the hardest part of, of football. You know, Jim says kids being released having spent 10 years you know that that's earth shattering you know not not to compare it but I signed perfectly for Celtic at 13 and I wrote my day oh he, sit, he sits up in his chair and fluffs the cushions here hold on mate. what's no, no, the story no. Tony and I I wrote my date of birth down and I was three weeks too old or two and about weeks too old to play for the under 13s because I I wasn't born on August the first or after, I was born on July the eleventh, so I was I should have been playing a year older. But I I went for a trial, and three hundred and fifty of us were there, and three of us get taken into a room, and I was one of them. And the guy said to me, "Wow, did they know ask your age before you?" I said, "Yeah," and but nobody thought to check. And I uh, yeah I I was told you are two and a half, whatever, however many days that is too old. What do you do? You know, mm. you know, you have to just get on with it. Not kind of could have, would have, should have. I don't know what happened, but you know, as Jim says, you were good enough to get picked, but just circumstances conspired. So history's littered with mm. real talented footballers having that disappointment. You know, that crushing disappointment. As Jim says, some can handle it and some can't. You know, guy, guys spiral into addiction. Other guys just fade away into obscurity, don't, don't want to be reminded of it, you know. So it's it's, it's hard, you know. It's, it's I grew up for three days solid and then told my father I was going to be the new Arthur Montford or Archie because I liked your job. And they were a big influence in what, where my career ended up in football journalism. I thought that looks good, you know. So that these are things that you just kind of. You know, back then when you were 13 and they said to you, right, play against 14 year olds, it was the old Saudi Arabia thing, wasn't it? The guy got mm-hmm. it, beards and stuff. So it was a, it was a huge difference. So, uh, and as I say, I only tell that story because it's kind of, not just a wee bit, but I never ever, it hurt at the time, but you have to somehow find a way of just getting up and saying, right, fine. You know, I was a young guy then, so you never, we don't know what would have happened. You know, so I, I don't, I don't, eh, uh, I don't look back at it and, and get all upset about it. It was just something that happened. I was upset at the time. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. I switched to Boost Mobile and got a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Want to know the best part? Uh, it was free? Nope. The fact that it's on America's largest 5G networks? Nope. It's the ding. Oh, yeah. Love the ding. Right? It's all about the ding. It's the dingarooski, the dingarona, the ring-a-ding-ding. Unleash your power to save with Boost. Get a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone when you switch. Boost Mobile. Unleash your power. And the ding. 
limited time offer. New customers only. Available on select networks. 5G not available everywhere. One device per line. Tax excluded. Additional restrictions apply. See your local Boost Mobile store for details. It happens. You move on. You know, as Jim says. But for guys like George Conley, for that to be reminded of, you know, for 50 years, that's that's heartbreaking. And that's the sadness about George Conley's story. Because George Conley was a good footballer. It was just off the field. which Jim said that it couldn't couldn't square the circle with it. But on, on the field, talent... Because I believe Jim, did you know do keep you up? He's in a game and stuff, you know. I was a game in '66 when he was only a kid. He came out at half time and did a keep you up around the pitch and what have you. But I think, uh, I think that's why we have to cut the players a bit of slack sometimes because we really don't know what's going on. One of my bugbears is when we bring players on with 20 minutes to go and they only have 20 minutes of a game, and you, your, your expectation is going to do something to change a game. If you've only got tw- if you've been training all week and you only get 20 minutes at the end of a game, you only get three or four touches, and people judge you on that. You know, I think it's very unfair. So I think you kind of you have to cut players a wee bit of slack because there's enormous pressure, absolutely enormous pressure. Particularly uh, for Celtic as well. When any team has a bit of pressure, because again, people try to stop you doing your job. People want your place in the team. People are watching you. People are criticising you. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you have to cut players a bit of slack sometimes. And, and, and George Collins is that example. Yeah, I've got to say that's one thing that I always remember. I, I didn't play an awful lot of organised football as a child, but like. I remember growing up a couple of times playing in a couple of 11-a-side matches and that was the big thing that shocked me when I actually was playing in proper football matches was how little you see of the ball, how little of a chance you've actually got to make a difference in the game. It's all right being in the back garden when it's you out out in the field and your brother in goal and you can be Ronaldo or you can be Gabriel Batistuta or whoever you want to be because it's you taking all the shots in goal. But when, when you've got... You know, 22 people on the pitch, the ball can be 40, 50 yards away from you and you're expecting to try and have an impact in the game. It's it's, it's a difficult thing. Um, I also think that's why we love football, Laura. That's why, mm-hmm. because cause one one moment can change a game. One game mm-hmm. can change a season. I mean, one, one moment can change somebody's, somebody's life. You know, you come on, like, thinking back to the Barcelona game, after Tony Watt scored that goal, you're thinking he's just going to be meteoric. It's going to just, you know, that one second... You know, and that's as I say, that's what we love about football. It, it, it changes; it can change so quickly. Uh, but mm-hmm. hey ho, hey ho! One moment can change a game. One game can change a life. Are you Tony Tony Haggerty in disguise there? That's some some phraseology. I enjoyed that one. I'm his agent. I'm his, I'm his, I'm his new agent. Now I'm in the mothership. I've got so much power in here. It's just. Uh, <laughs> Dice is making me t- Dice is making me tea at the moment. No sugar, just milk. No, no. Tea biscuits. Are they chocolate? Nah, nah, nah. Two. An old money. I was an outside right or a right winger. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Tony, if you to compare yourself to any current Celtic player, who would you be? It's got to be Jamesy, hasn't it? Surely. Probably Jamesy because I was quite small. I was small and tricky. Aye, yeah. I, that was kind of and I was fast that was a few stone ago to be fair before the end of the season you know what I mean so, we're all there aye and of, and, of, and, of, and of all the players you've ever seen who are you the closest to then forget oh. just the Celtic team you pick oh. somebody and so that was me if if you'd have made it who would you have been I'd have been that player there who would have been oh that's too tough man because I know who I want to be <laughs> no no not who you want to be who, who, yeah. you, who would you say that's me if I'd have made it, that'd have been me. We Georgie, oh. the Belfast boy, surely. Uh, By the way, wasn't that good? Wasn't that good? <laughs> probably say David Proven. Right? Good. Wow. Yeah, because I had a bit of skill and I could score goals and I could cross. and I was no bad. You know, I was all right. I could right. hold on. So uh, without being, as you say, the George Best, I mean, you want to be Charlie Nick, you want to be... I'd, I'd, I'd Charlie Nick more now and again. <laughs> <laughs> That's a new nickname. That's a new nickname, Nick. David Proven. Uh, a bit of a Charlie Nick haircut, no? I had a Charlie Nick haircut, very much so. I, I think three hours in the hairdressers underneath the, the purple rinse hairdryer. Uh, yeah, I, I wrote that in about 50 quid. It cost my dad in 1985 or something. What a doing I got at school in, in the Monday. <laughs> Absolute doing. But it didn't bother me because I thought I looked like Charlie Nick. You know what I mean? That, that's one of the ones that looks as if it was out of fashion at the time. Honestly, I can't I can't comment, oh, but you know. Oh, God. You know what I mean? Just swirling up, swirling up. <laughs> that was a lot of... Hey, wonderful. 
<laughs> We're into too much information, Kathy. Here, Laura, you want to move on? Quick, quick, quick. I'm going to, I'm going to pull us out of this pool of nostalgia and head and shoulders hairdos and whatever. I'm going to uh, drop us back into the current day, where there are some positives uh, to be had. The main positive being a three-one victory in a sort of friendly kickabout with uh, Sheffield Wednesday during the week. Um, strangely split up into three parts apparently so two breaks and three three portions of the game now I didn't see the game because I was working during the week but uh, Tony you, you said you managed to c- catch a glimpse of it what what was encouraging about the game that you saw being it's the Andrew's first in charge quite a lot was encouraging a lot of the younger players showed up really well Moffat showed up really well Shaw showed up really well you know Montgomery showed up well Sorrell played well you know so there was there's lots to enthuse about. Shelda came on and did look really accomplished. You know, so you, you sort of looked around and, you know, you, there's some good players there. You know, again, I never read too much into results in pre-season, but what I was looking at was attitudes of players, the guys that wanted it. And the ones that I mentioned looked as if they really wanted it and wanted to impress even a Yeti scoring a goal. You know, they got off to a terrible start, but once they came into it, they played some neat football and, you know, scored scored three good goals. Moffat's been the pick of the bunch, a shot in the turn in the bottom corner. And he, he was a wee buzz bomb, a wee live wire, and a lot of people really liked him. And, uh, you know, so it was good to see that. Good to see the fact that they're clearly listening to the manager because the manager has told the young guys, you know, youths the way forward. So give me a decision to make with regards to yourself. Well, that's what I was pleased about, you know. And yeah, the three, the three half hours was a bit strange, but certainly, you know, they they, they played, they played pretty well, Celtic. But again, I, I'm never a, a lover of these kind of games. But there was a tempo that you could see. There was a high press, which, and there was an attacking uh, mindset to the team, you know. And, and it was good to see uh, Edward also scoring. You know, he just got one chance and, and he buried it. And, you know, so still that that mindset. And, you know, he wants to still do well and still score goals. So I was quite, I was happy all round. It was a decent start, an encouraging start, I think you would say, for Ant Postacoglu. And, you know, some food for thought and something to work on. But we're not kidding ourselves. 12, 11 days to go to game, the European game against Mitchelland. And we still need players. You know, we we've been naive to suggest that we don't need players. You know, I've seen seen they've been linked with Ben Davis again. That's somebody who I would love to see come to the club because the interest was strong the first time and I think we should pursue that one. You know, and that's from a reliable source from Steve McGowan in the Daily Mail. So you'd have to think that there may be something happening in that. And if a player like Ben Davis would come in then I would feel a lot more happy and secure in the knowledge that we're going about with business the right way. Yeah, everything I'm hearing is encouraging, particularly from uh, people about, you know, younger players like Shaw and Moffat. Um, Jim, I know you didn't get a chance to see the game either, but uh, there's been a lot of talk from Ange about putting trust in the young players and certainly, you know, out of necessity, probably more than anything, he was forced to play some of them in that in that bounce game. Do you think he'll stick to his word as far as that's concerned? Do you expect to see more um, more play from players like Robertson and, and Moffat and, and Shaw going into this season? Um, either because Ange is wanting to do that or maybe he might be forced to do that? I think the first thing, I wouldn't pay much attention to the game the other day. And these games don't really count for anything. I mean, once upon a time, back in the day, we'd be playing some Swedish 8th Division team in the back of beyond and you would, you would be lucky to hear the score some of these games. Uh, I think he wants as many experienced players back in as soon as possible. Uh, if the team are playing well, he'll bring in some of the youngsters, but I don't think you can throw a whole lot of youngsters in, in, in the same team together. And I think he wants as many experienced guys back in as soon as possible. Uh, I think he wants to sign people as soon as possible. I mean, people were commenting on his demeanour after the game as if he was kind of hacked off about things. I think he's the only guy we've got at the moment. He's doing a number of jobs and it must be very wearing on him, I think, the sheer scale of what he's having to take on. We don't have a Dorf, so he's a Dorf just now. I don't know about how things are in the sports science or the scouting, whatever it is. So he must be having to take on a number of different things. 
and then we'd won off field matter this week. He's having to deal with that as well. So I think he's maybe starting to realise just how massive this job is. And time is not on his side. Uh, but in terms of answering the question, I think he'll play youngsters when he's got a settled team. Uh, and he just wants as many experienced guys back as soon as possible to give us some sort of chance for this game in less than two weeks. Uh, and that's the game, I've, I've used the phrase, reality bites. I think half-time against Mitchelland, we'll get an idea of what's actually happening here. Uh, if, if we're getting hammered, it's a kind of, oh no, it's going to be a difficult season. If we put up a good show and we're in the game at half-time, that'll give you a bit of encouragement moving forward. I don't think he'll play a lot of young kids. Uh, young guy Moffat apparently played well the other day. One to watch, but we want, we want Jamesy Forrest back there. We want Mikey Johnson back. You're going to go with that. I would go with them first because they've been over the course before and we, and we blood the youngsters if and when we get a chance to blood the youngsters but see, as I said I wouldn't pay much attention to the game the other day nor the games to come I think it's all about getting uh, as they say minutes in the legs to use that kind of cliche and, and try and get a bit of shape etc but from Angie's point of view I think he has to be working on the training field he has to get a goalkeeper and two centre backs he has to be just working 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 with these guys he has to get that settled uh, because I think we we had Dan, the man from Japan, on the other week, and we made a comment about, you know, he wouldn't defend Angie's defence, nor would Angie defend his defence. That's the bit we have to get right, and as soon as possible, because if we lose goals, we won't win anything. So I think that's the main thing he has to kind of focus on, get get that back three sorted out. If, it, if, it's, if it's Barky, great, uh, and, and two set and half that he's got just now, and work as, it's as hard as you possibly can with these, with these guys on the training field and play the same guys, because the big, the big issue we had last year is we kept changing the goalkeeper, and we kept changing the centre-backs and we kept changing the formation of the back two or the back three. And that just led to confusion, I think, most of last season. And the manager saying, he's my number one goalkeeper. And a few weeks later, he's not my number one goalkeeper. And just, that was a big factor last season. So we have to get that nailed down, you know, from the off this season. So don't, don't, don't mess about, don't experiment. Get your goalkeeper and your back two and that'll give us some sort of chance moving forward. Yeah, um... Tony, Jim summarised quite well there just the mountain of work that's facing Ange. Um, the title of our show today is Will Ange Postacoglu receive the backing he needs from the Celtic board? You'll need that in terms of signings, obviously, but also, you know, there are some rumours abound on various sources that he perhaps has tried to get his own staff in and hasn't been allowed and has been forced um, to use the staff that's already existing at the club. We don't know exactly if that's true, but it's not boding well, is it, considering the way things went for, for the previous manager and, and what what went wrong there? You know, are, are you setting them up for failure based on what we're seeing uh, in terms of the lack of support so far? Well, I think it was Andrew that said himself he will make a decision on his backroom staff once he's assessed everything that's at his disposal. Now, read into that what you will, but that suggests to me that he... He kind of works with people that are there when he goes to a club and then brings his own men in. And I think Dominic Mackay said there would be no barrier to him bringing in his own men. So I read that article the same as you did the other day from someone saying that uh, he's been denied his background stuff. But I don't think that... I think there's a wee bit of mischief making there and I'll... You know, I, I kind of... Didn't dismiss it, but I kind of took it for what it was worth. Say, right, okay. Only one man will make up his mind on this, and that's the manager. You know, and in the new era of supposed transparency, we will be told. I'm sure he'll come out and say, "Look, I will now bring in backroom staff of my own, or I'm happy enough to work with uh, John Kennedy and Gavin Strachan." As Jim's always alluded to, what do they do? We don't actually know what they do. <laughs> So maybe Angie's asking the same questions as us and then he'll formulate his opinion and then he might go to the board and say, I want X and Y to come in. And the board, having appointed him, will have to back him. And it goes without saying they're going to have to back him with funds for players. The club needs surgery. You know, they need, as Jim said, a settled goalkeeper in two centre-half because our Achilles heel last season was conceding goals. And we conceded red and butter goals there was that incredible stat halfway through the season that 43% of the goals came from the set pieces against Celtic was it something like that I believe I mean that's you're not going to win this team you're not going to win anything if you're conceding that percentage of goals from just ordinary bread and butter crosses coming into your box from free kicks corners or whatever so that has to be addressed 
And I know it's no Angie's thought here about the defence, but we have to have some kind of settled defence. But we've known that. We've known that since the clock was counting down from 120 odd days. So it's now 11 days, and we don't seem to be. My concern is we're not really any further forward than that. And it's getting to the wire, and now with 11 days to go, the Ben Davis rumour has came back again. Wiskovich, they're still supposedly in a deal with that. Starfelt, they're still talking. Why are they talking? Why are these deals not getting over the line? So that, as Jim says, you have 10 days a week to work on shape before the Michelin game and give you some sort of fighting chance. That's what should happen. Well, that, well ideally, that's what supporters want to happen. Whether it happens or not is another thing. But this is the new manager, so the board have to back him, have to back his judgment. And if he wants these players in, then he needs these players. Go and get them. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and Jim, just to pick up on what Tony said there, you know, we had we had um, Dan on from the <clears throat> from the Japan Times, and there was quite a bit of reaction to that podcast because of his his opinion on Ange's uh, defending uh, or 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 his coaching of defence or or lack thereof. I have to say that the moves that I'm seeing being made made so far suggest to me that it is a priority for him if he sees it as a major weakness. He's been looking at Matt Ryan, the goalkeeper. He's been looking at Vucinic, the, the Croatian defender. And uh, to paraphrase uh, David Bowie, there's a star felt waiting in the sky in, in the form of that Swedish defender coming from, from Ruben Kazan. So it does seem to be a priority for him, don't you think, that he... Um, that he does see it as a weakness and he is trying to sort it before he looks at the more attacking side of the team. Yeah, I think so. Before answering that question, Tony said mischief making. That's what I was going to say in terms of that tweet. There's just too much noise going about social media. And social media is a great thing and it's a really bad thing. So you can't react to everything that you see. You know, we have to give the big chap a couple of months to put his own stamp on it. Mm. And then we can start shouting and balls. So if John Kennedy and Gavin Strachan are still there after two months, it's not going particularly well, then you can shout and ball about things happening. Not, so I, I don't think people should react to tweets because they're just noise. Ange talked about, he usually needs time. And one of the things that Dan said, he talked about Bob the Builder, but Ange is the Rebuilder, mm-hmm. which, was, which was a bizarre phrase. And he needs a bit of time. And the thing I th- thought was quite... Was, 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 an interesting fact was that when Dan talked about the 56 goals for, the 56 goals against, and we all had that collective sigh to say, what is this? Somebody tweeted me the following season, uh, the league table, sorry, uh, and in that season with the 56-56, they were ninth, and then his team won the league uh, the following season, and when his team won the league, they went from 56 goals for to 68 for, and they went from 56 goals against to 38 against. So they scored about 20% more goals and they lost about 30% less goals. So if you knew nothing about this, which is us, basically, you would think he's obviously sorted out the back to have lost 30% less goals. So you know, I think that's a good thing moving forward. And the other thing that was dead interesting about that was that they only played 34 games. So 34 games, 68 goals, uh, 4, 38 against. So it's almost 2-1 basically. And we've been hearing this kind of narrative that in an Ange team, you score four, we score five, when in fact the evidence is saying you score one, we score two. You know, so it's not that, you know, high scoring football that we think it's going to be. Uh, so uh, the big man knows what he has to do. And I think with every day goes by, reality is biting on him. He's thinking, I need this to do this. And he's running out of time. And he must be getting annoyed because maybe he has been told we'll get you know two or three guys in before Mitchell and it's not happened yet. And if he's not getting time to work with these guys on the training pitch, if he signs somebody two or three days before the match, that's just useless. Because they have to get here and there's all the COVID stuff that's going to happen as well. So, so I think maybe he is getting a bit frustrated. But let's not get on his back. You know, My big concern is if we're all out back into the football, hopefully, and if we're not playing particularly well, what I don't want the fans is to start to boo the team. Because that's counterproductive as well. This of all season, we have to really get behind the team. We know who we've got to where we are, but we are where we are. So let's kind of get behind them. And let's not, let's try and block out the noise about somebody saying, my understanding is, oh, is it? Is that your understanding? You don't have to tell us that. Right? Or you can tell us it, but we'll ignore it anyway. And you pick what you choose that you think is relevant information. 
You know, that's that's how you move forward with this kind of stuff. So Angie's the man, we get behind him, fingers crossed, we make some sort of fist to the game in less than two weeks' time. The game on Saturday, the other friendlies that happen, they don't really matter. Don't get too wound up about them. Because the thing was, I didn't watch the game. I was going to watch the game this morning, but Mr Dykes dragged me through here. So I didn't get a chance to watch it. I'll blame him. But I looked at Twitter, and I looked at Twitter, after 15 minutes, people were having heart attacks. What's this guy doing? This guy's a clown. Sack him. And then you fast forward to the end of the game, it was, what a performance. This guy was brilliant. That guy's brilliant. You know, just ignore it. It's just getting some minutes in the legs, getting a bit of fitness up, and gets a chance to see what they are like on the park. You might find one or two gems, like the young guy Moffat, who apparently played really well, which is good going forward. But I don't think it'll be depending on people like Owen Moffat for the game against Mitchelland. He wants Forrest back. He wants a fit Johnson. He wants some sort of shape in there to give himself a chance because they'll be up for it. They've won the league. They'll be a good team. So we're not playing teams who are, you know, just come back from their holidays and they're unfit. These are real games. And that's my biggest thing that we've got to doing against Mitchelland. Uh, hopefully not, because I'm trying to be more positive this season moving forward. Laura, there's also this narrative about this being a transitional season for Celtic. I'm not having that. I want Celtic to be as competitive as possible in every game, regardless of the personnel. Not that in the head that this is some kind of transition because Andy's building a team. No, no, no. You've got to build a team from the get-go. Make, his, make Celtic competitive because Celtic need to win the title to get access to 40 million quid. So that, that's, that's what you have to do. Jim says he knows the job. So I'm not having this kind of, oh, we're, we're in transition. Well, fine. You know, the great, that, that's just a word that's bandied about. I'm not having transition. I want a competitive Celtic team. Angie's been charged with the task to come in and make Celtic competitive to win the title. I gave him a pass for Europe because I don't. I think that's all come too too quickly and too soon for him to make any real difference in that stage. But I want it right for uh, the league and mm. the campaign. So I'm, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, the word transition season or the, the words transitional season. Are getting scrapped from the minutes of any meeting that I'm in. Celtic <laughs> team, that's what I want this season. And I'm not going to go hard on the manager because I know it's, you said, a, a small amount of time to prepare. But I still want, I still want him to do his utmost to make, to make Celtic league winners again. I'm not having this, mm. ah, well, you know, that kind of, he's building something. Well, how long is that going to take? You know? Yeah. I get that he's building something, but. I kind of want to, with the help of the board, to build something rather quickly and wrestle the title back off Rangers. Maybe yeah, go on, Jim. Sorry. No, I was just saying, I think every manager has their, their honeymoon period at the start with everything, the sweetness and light, and Dom and Ange are the best of pals and all that kind of stuff. We all love Ange. <laughs> but at some point, as I said, reality is going to bite. So whether that's the Michelin game or the Hearts game or the first trip to Ibrox, you know, that, you know, if we don't make a good start, then there's loads of pressure on the guy. But uh, And I think that's maybe starting to dawn on him that things maybe aren't as advanced as we'd like them to be. But again, let's try and be positive and let's kind of get behind Ange. Yeah, um, some comments coming in kind of backing up a lot of what we're saying to be honest. Joe, Joe Glenn on YouTube says, what moves? There hasn't been any just rumour and talking, not a single signing. Um, says utterly pathetic as well. I'm not sure I would go that far, but I see, see where his frustration lies. Jerry Murphy on YouTube says we have no idea who Ange is looking at. Only signings are relevant. It's been three weeks uh, since he had said he needed players. So... Yeah, no movement as far as that's concerned. Only rumours at this point, and obviously until somebody's announced, as we know only too well at Celtic, we can't really um, rely on that for for any form of uh, hard fact that a player's coming into the club or anybody else for that matter. Um, So that having been said, we'll look at some of the players who are at the club, some of the players who remain at the club. There are a few players who um, came in last season, Tony, who... Uh, didn't have great seasons in their first season with the club and the potential for them to be on their way back out as quickly as they came in is is something that a lot of fans were were shouting for. You watched the game yesterday, saw Albion Ajeti captain the team and score a goal. Where do you think his future lies? Are we asking too much that there might still be a future for him at the club? Or do you think, uh, is it a case of needs must? Where where do your feelings lie on him and what, what happens to him going forward? It's a bit of both that. 
I feel that there could be a goal scorer somewhere deep down lurking in energetic. Mm. You know, he, he scores against Dundee United early in the season and dug out a win at Tannadice. You know, we managed to go. He scored a lovely finish when Turnbull played him in against Hibs at Celtic Park. He showed bits, you know, he's played in bits and, bits and starts and there's some kind of ability there. But it's, again, like many, he's been just too inconsistent. When he was asked to lead the line, he never showed up, you know. But he was asked to lead the line to, you know, not enough times because when he did play, it was the occasional goal you got here and there. But I think there's ability there and maybe a case I need to must. People take time to say, oh, I get that. But, you know, he has to hit the ground running. As he scored a goal the other day, but I, I don't really read too much like Jim into these games. When the ball bounces for Rio, Albin Ajeti has to score. If he plays, bottom line, or else he will be deemed surplus to requirements. Another Klamala, who, you know, scored a couple of decent goals, but ultimately was shipped out for the money that we paid for him. So the same could happen to Ajeti, but my concern about Ajeti is, do you see anybody paying five million quid for Ajeti not being able to score and what he would term a relatively poor Celtic team? You know, so who's going to pay five? Who's going to give you your money back for that? You know, if they decide that he's no longer required. But as I say, there's some there's something at the back of my head telling me that Ajeti might score goals and might be worth persevering with until January, and then you make a decision. There's a, there's a narrative there that he might be the next Timu Puki because the rumour is that Norwich City are on his tail yeah. and, and you know Timu Puki himself didn't make make waves at Celtic but went on to score a lot of goals for Norwich City. Is it a case you think of maybe maybe the shoe doesn't fit sometimes uh, for a player at a club? There is that element to it, you know. Timo Puki was, you know, we never really hit the at the, the heights that we wanted him at Celtic, went to Norwich and everyone was like, where was this guy at Celtic? You know, so sometimes you, players just don't get it. They're not the right fit, as you say. It doesn't happen for them. They go somewhere else and everything they touch turns to go. Hmm. I'd like to think that wasn't the case with Ayeti, but there's something, that, there's something saying that it could be. But as I say, he might be worth persevering for the time being because, as you say, it needs must. And giving them the chance, giving them an extended run of games to say, right, Alvin, you're the main man. Let's see what you got. Yeah, I think I think that's true. Jim, where where do you stand on a jetty? John John Mohern on YouTube saying seeing a jetty on against Wednesday, he looks uncomfortable up front uh, on his own support. Is it a case of that maybe we're trying to shoehorn him into a system that doesn't suit him, or is it is it just not worked out and we need to cut our losses with him? I mean, if he's looking uncomfortable up front, maybe we should play him in goals. Maybe that'll solve two problems at once there. <laughs> uh, I think he's a player. I mean, I, th- I think it was a strange signing. You go and spend five and a half million on a player who hasn't kicked a ball in a year. I mean, that, that was a strange signing to start off with. But he should be the committee of the team. He's obviously a poacher. And he scores goals. I think if you give him chances, he'll score goals. I think two things, three things happened last year. There was loads of things happened last year. But I think t- three things happened with a Yeti. Uh, James Forrest got injured. So if you're going to make chances for him, James Forrest was, was the main guy who would make chances for him. He then gets injured. Uh, so he's out for a while. And he comes back to a completely dysfunctional team. So if you had those three things together, maybe that's the reason why maybe, plus the fact he hadn't played in a year before, there's four things there, reasons why it didn't work out for him uh, last year. But he's shown two years before, and, and, you, and, you, and you've also got COVID, five reasons. But if you go back two years before he went to West Ham, he was knocking on goals for fun. So And he's an international player. So there's a player there. My, we were talking earlier about people's mental state, uh, and you have to be mentally up for things. I kind of... A Yeti to me is one of these kind of modern players. I mean, I think he's like financially made for life. You know, a few big transfers, a few big sign-on fees. When you're like that, what's your motivation at that point? Is he that bothered about playing? You know, is he happy just to pick up his wages and then go up the road? Because in actual fact, you find, and in fact, we'll talk about George Cornell, that you find that there are players who actually don't like playing. You know, they like, they like to do the training and like all the kind of bonding goes, but find actual playing difficult. And I'm not saying that's a yeti finds it difficult playing, but uh, if you're getting 20 grand a week, whoever he's getting, and you've got a three or four year contract, I always question the motivation. 
I don't know what his motivation is. I, I hope he comes good because we don't have many bodies and he's a body that we have. And he scored the other day and I know I've said it doesn't matter, but uh, one of these jocks Dean used to do back in the 1670s, they, he would play against really, really poor teams and scored 10, 12 goals before the start of the season to get the confidence up. So, yet he scored a goal. That's good. I think you'll have to play him uh, against Mitchelland because there'll be no one, the potential there'll be no one else at all. So, so again, hopefully he comes good. Uh, people said he looked a lot fitter than he was last season. He couldn't have been any unfitter than he was last season. So, so, so that all goes well. And I think like any striker, if he's off to a good start, if he, if he bangs a couple of goals against Mitchelland, then we're off and running. Uh, if he doesn't, then that's a different thing. And also maybe maybe he might suit playing up front with a big target man. Maybe that's something to think about because what we mm. did a lot of last year, I mean, we sat in the studio back in, 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 the, in the transfer window at the start of last season and I mentioned I thought we could do with a bit of physicality I wasn't saying we should go for Dykes but somebody like Dykes because a lot of the times when Celtic play football they try and play around teams or through teams and when that doesn't work there's nothing and having the option of throwing a high ball into a big guy up front and if a Yeti's a kind of poacher playing alongside them maybe that's an option but then again I'm not too sure what kind of Angie's teams are because people talk about players with two wingers and one guy up front so and I'm sure that's all the things Angie's having to think about you know how can he actually get the best out of the players that he's got and if I if I yet he's a poacher and maybe not good at leading the line does that mean he gets an Angie's team to start off with so that's a factor never mind how fit or how well a yet he's actually playing so I think Angie's got a lot of things to think about uh, but mm. if he's fitter this year Great. If he gets off to a good start, great. Uh, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think I think only time will tell, as we so often say. And hopefully, you know, for his sake as well as Celtics, if 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 we can keep him in, can be a success. It'll only do is, is good going forward. And before we we close out the show today, we just wanted to draw your attention to. I don't know if we'll have crossed the barrier during the show, but we're certainly close to twelve thousand six hundred prescri- uh, subscribers on uh, on YouTube. So if you're watching and you haven't subscribed, give that we um, subscribe button on the channel a press. It's it's free um, and what will happen is you'll just get notifications whenever the channel goes live or whenever a new video goes up and you're able to join us live on the show um, in order for you to subscribe another thing you can do is retweet the Celtic State of Mind Axon Pod tweet on Twitter um, for the Axon Prize draw we are um, offering anybody who subscribes and retweets that tweet quite an amazing prize a BPI CD presentation awarded to EMI Music Publishing in 1997 to recognise sales of more than 2.1 million copies of the Verve's Urban Hymns which is an ironic thing to be given away on a Celtic Channel podcast considering Bittersweet Symphony pretty much describes what it is to be a Celtic supporter at times um, but get subscribed, get that retweeted and uh, you could be in with a chance of, of, of winning what is, I'm sure, a very um, tempting and um, amazing prize for any music lovers out there. Uh, unfortunately, there's not a Westlife one on offer, but uh, time time may help us. Time may help us if you're listening, Paul. Thanks, he's um, on the case. He's on the case, he tells me. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you picked Bittersweet Symphony, Laura, not the drugs don't work. Right. Well... Yeah. Well, no comment on that, no comment. We shall move on swiftly. Uh, as Jim says, we move on. Um, Jim, I'll come to you first on this one. Again, looking at players that we have still in the squad, um, James Forrest is coming back after a lengthy injury last season where we didn't really see him, but he did obviously make a lot of impact when he was starting to come back into the squad. Um, Callum McGregor looked like a different player at the Euros under a manager who was actually coaching him properly and Steve Clark. What impact do you think those two can have this season? James Forrest obviously coming back hopefully to full fitness and Callum McGregor potentially being managed with a bit more direction and a bit more input than he was uh, for the previous 18 months or so? I think it'll be huge, Laura, absolutely huge. Uh, the experience that they've got even over the course and distance. Uh, they're the guys that are going to have to uh, bring the new guys up to speed in terms of what it means to play for Celtic and having to win week in, week out. Uh, I think we've all known that Callum McGregor's played a ridiculous amount of football and that was him playing over the summer again. So I, th- I think the, the boy is a rest, you know. Uh, so And hopefully we have enough good midfield players this season that we can give him a rest during the season and I think Forrest was maybe in the same boat but obviously I haven't been out for the best part of the season he should be fresh this season but uh, we need to have the thing that was poor last season was the kind of squad management 
Mm. You know, the fact we went to the well with the same players time and time again, and whether that's because the management had no confidence in other players, who knows? But we have to be better at that, and we have to have someone who can slot in for Callum. Uh, I certainly make him, I mean, it's an obvious choice to be captain. I uh, can't think of anyone else uh, who could be captain. Uh, but he does need a rest, and you know, it's, we've got a game in whatever it is, 11 days' time, you know, and he said, what, a week off, or, or two weeks off, and he's back into it again. Again, I talked to top of the podcast about the mental side of things haven't you push yourself and the physical side from Callum's point of view as well haven't you pushed your body time and time and time and time again without kind of rest so so I think we have to manage him well this season with James he been out last season he should be good to go uh, my big concern has been the major thing from last year was the impact of Covid mm. Covid hasn't went away and in fact Covid is now actually affecting younger players so I think we're going to have another stop start season with us you know, and, and that could be a huge factor. And one of the things I would like Dom to make sure that there's consistency within the SFA of COVID you know, and, how, and how we deal with COVID and the COVID testing, etc. That, that all the clubs are sending their, you know, their, their test to the same place. You know, there's no inconsistencies there. And if people, you know, uh, fall full of COVID, the SFA deal with that and they deal with that on a consistent basis. Not looking for any favours here, but just so we all know that it's transparent and it's accountable and all that stuff as well. So we'll need a wee bit of luck next year with the COVID because, you know, we deserved not to win the league last year. The team that won it thoroughly deserved it, but we didn't have to get hit by COVID. I know JP mentioned this a few times, but we did. You know, I think a wee bit more than other teams and it was key players. It wasn't like, you know, you know, uh, players that were kind of on the bench. It was Eddie and and Christy and these kind of guys. You know, that we, that we lost, anyway, we lost, obviously, 16 players, whatever it was at the same time. So we need a wee bit of luck next year in terms of the COVID as well. But to get back to the question you answer, Callum and James Forrest, they are the most experienced players at the club. I will have to rely very heavily on them, but hopefully we can manage Callum a little bit better than we've done in the past because the boy needs a rest. Hmm. Um, Tony, before I come on to ask you, Stephen Hutchison in the YouTube comments, a man after own my, my own heart, he says, if it wasn't for the COVID, where would we be? We'd be in the hospital or infirmary. Uh, obviously, paraphrasing the famous Billy Connolly song, if it wasn't for your wellies, if only wellies kept us from the COVID. But anyway, we move on. Um, yeah, looking at James Forrest and, 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 and Callum McGregor, Tony, they, they are obviously big big parts of the squad moving forward. Stephen Welsh is another one. This has really got to be his true breakthrough season to really cement his place in the team, wouldn't you say? Like I think he certainly made a good enough impression last season. A bit of inexperience, some mistakes that you would expect from a guy who's not got very much first team experience, but surely this is going to be a season for him to, to cement his, his place in the Celtic team for the next decade the way those two have already. You would like to think so, yeah. I mean, there's been enough from Stephen Welsh to, to know there's the nub of a player there, you know. I, I, but again, I, I wouldn't like to be relying solely on him as that guy at the back of the pack. I would want him alongside, you know, Julian when he's fully fit and recover you. You want him alongside the experience so experience can talk him through it, mm. you know, and, and iron out these mistakes that you alluded to there. But, you know, Again, with young players, I always say you need to let them breathe and you need to let them gain that first-team experience. You can't be keeping too much pressure on them per se, but the fact of the matter is, if they're going to play, they're in pressure situations, so they have to turn up. You know, they can't switch off. Mm. As a footballer, you want to play at Ibrox, you know, in a game that means so much. That's what you crave. You want to play in cup finals, you want to play in Europe, if you're given that platform, then you've got to perform. And I know and it might seem that I'm using the opposite of what I'm saying, but that, that is the pressure that you're under to perform when you're put in the starting 11 for those games. But what you don't need is anybody saying to you, right, you know, that you, you can't make a, a backside of it type thing. You know, you just got to let them breathe and play. But with, with inexperience comes mistakes. With youngsters, mistakes come, but you're hoping to pair them up with experience that if they do make mistakes, somebody will be there to cover for them. You know, and I like Welsh. I think he's a tidy footballer. I like you. I think this is it. This is the season he has to really cement his place as a, as a Celtic, uh, you know, 
first team player and a, an automatic starter. And I think the experience of last season will do him really good because, you know, they, they get criticised and he, and he dealt with a lot of flack, but he was one of the, the silver linings in the clouds of last season. So it's now for him, it's now time for him to graft the mantle and take it a stage further and become the player we all hope that he can be. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. I think, you know, McGregor and Forrest have been mainstays of the team over the last uh, decade, perhaps longer. Uh, I think Welsh can be another, you know, one of our own who makes that, that transition this season, hopefully, and, and is at the heart of the, the defence um, going into the next decade because certainly we need it. If anybody caught the picture of Johan Mialbi on Instagram the other day, uh, he still looks in decent, fair enough, Nick, that he could probably come in and do a job for us if he absolutely needed to, but, you know, uh, we live in hope. Um, to finish out the show, though, I, I just wanted to get your thoughts, Jim. I'll come to you on this first. You, you're a you're a big Scotland fan and, and have travelled uh, to see them at major tournaments. Obviously, they had a part to play in Euro 2020. But um, as we come to the final, uh, England versus Italy uh, at the at the end of the tournament on Sunday. What have been your thoughts on the tournament, the quality of the football that you've seen, and, and what, what do you see the outcome being on Sunday? I think it's been good. Uh, I didn't watch many of the group games uh, until we got the points at Wembley, which meant that various permutations meant that if we get four points, then this would happen. That and I started watching the games then because they became quite exciting. I've watched all the games since then. I've watched all the knockout games. Uh, I think the standards have been very, very high. Uh, I mentioned last week, the week before, I think we are miles off it. Mm. Miles off it. I think we compare ourselves to, to, to smaller nations like the Austrias and Switzerland's of this world. I think we are miles off it technically tactically uh, I think these are countries who have obviously invested in football and we haven't you know, our facilities are hopeless uh, speak to anyone who's involved in grassroots football they'll tell you stories till the cows come home about a lack of investment uh, pitches lying empty £70 to hire a pitch for half an hour for kids and stuff like that we really really need to sort things out in this country I know that's not the question you asked there but I'm off on one of my usual tangents <laughs> uh, in terms of the, the in terms of Sunday, I think Italy have been, have been great to win. Italy-Spain game is a phenomenal game. That's one of the best games yeah. I've seen in years. Brilliant. Uh, the Spain-Croatia game was just dead exciting with the amount of goals that were in it. I think England have been just uh, very unlike England teams in the past. Uh, they're playing a bit like Germany usually play. They're just dead solid. Don't do it in daft. Pick off the goals when they come. Uh, they got a wee bit of luck the other night. Italy are good to watch. I don't think there's much in it come Sunday I've got a sneaky feeling I'm going to win it. Uh, uh, and if they do, then ho hum. Because I don't actually see England. I, mean, I think when I was younger, I, I looked upon a kind of England-Scotland thing was a, was, a, was a huge thing. It was a huge rivalry thing. I don't look upon that now because I think we're miles away now. You know, I think up, up to maybe the late 80s, we were more than a match for England. Uh, and once upon a time, England-Scotland was like the biggest match in the world. And in the World Cup, maybe... Maybe early 60s, people started to pay attention to the World Cup. The Euros didn't really kick into the 80s. Uh, so, so once upon a time, Scotland more than matched England. I think we're, we're, we're miles away from them now. And that's why everyone was going daft about getting nothing each draw at Wembley. You know, if you did that in the 70s, people would be saying, what? No, I need to against England. You should be hammering. But to answer the question, I think it'll be a, a tight game on Sunday. And I've got a wee sneaky feeling England will, will just sneak up. Tony, um, Jim raises a good point there about you know the quality of the football in some of the matches that Italy-Spain won. I remember uh, Denmark's performance against Russia at the end of the group stage was great. Um, there have been plenty of exciting moments in matches uh, and you know I, I think it's a tournament that will go down in history as a memorable one for so many reasons. I've got to say, having watched Celtic more than any other football that I watched this season and then watching that... It's it's like watching two different sports to me. I, ca- I can't really believe what I'm watching. And, and yeah, it's just been an enjoyable thing to, to take your mind off some of the wider issues that are going on in the world at the moment, hasn't it? I think if you're going to compare the Celtic games to like Italy, Spain the other night, then it's, it's different gravy really, isn't it? <laughs> that was a wonderful exhibition of football. No, I mean, a game of football was an exhibition of football. Mm. The, the class players turned up you know, and showed you why they're class football, which is why it was such an enjoyable game of football. And most of the time, you never want a game to go to extra time. You're actually praying. There was another half an hour of that game the other night. You were saying, 
go to extra time so you were enjoying it so much. So that's gives you the measure of that. I, I agree with him in the, the sense that Scotland are miles off it. Uh, technically, I would say, tactically, I'd maybe dispute that. But what we do have now is we've got a team that's capable of maybe qualifying for regular major tournaments because we have five or six players that are playing at a high, high level. And if they turn up and perform, then we've got a fighting chance in most internationals now, which is all really a Scottish national team can hope for. Have a fighting chance in every game that they play, be able to compete and claim a scalp every now and again. I mean, I think that's the best that Scotland can hope for at this minute. And I think we're getting there. We have the nub of a, a team, you know, we get a decent result against England with a wonderful performance. But we, we, we just didn't have any to take that, take that next step and win it 1 0. So that's the next step. Because mm. that's, that's, that's the result that would have got us through or maybe got us through. So in a, in a tournament where the third best team qualified as well, Scotland found a way not to not to qualify. <laughs> you know, so you have to accept that we are where we are uh, internationally at the minute, but we are getting better. There's cause for optimism, and I think they can improve. As for the general standard of the tournament, I've really enjoyed it. I thought it's been mm. terrific. There's been so wonderful matches, Spain, Croatia, and the goals and excitement. And then the France-Switzerland game, for the same reason, goals yeah. and excitement. And that's that's what I want Scotland to do. I want Scotland to be like Switzerland, Ukraine, Sweden. You know, they seem to get to the next stages of these competitions but by not being utterly brilliant. Mm. Also, I think also, Tony, I think also, Tony, when I say we're miles off it, when I watch some of the games, when Switzerland played against one of the bigger nations, they went for it. Yeah, they weren't, they weren't hanging back, you know, and I don't see that with Scotland, and and I don't actually, I don't actually see your optimism here. I don't see Scotland qualifying for the next two or three because I think they're so far off it. Uh, um, you talked about maybe taking a scalp. We haven't taken a scalp for a long, long time. That's you what know. I'm saying. Towards that, my, my, I'm saying my. The fact is, we got there, so we now have to learn how to cope and play tournament football. We get a mm. lesson: ball against Croatia. Mm-hmm. Croatia kept the ball it's a basic thing in football keeping the mm-hmm. ball my goodness they showed you how to keep the ball and that was supposed to be an aging team that was mm-hmm. men against boys so I'm projecting two years in the future or a year in the future these guys have to learn how to cope with tournament football because they're playing at the highest level for their clubs most of that team so if they can yeah. perform for their clubs at that level then they have to be able to transfer that onto the international stage and that's what I'm saying. We, sh- we should be able to claim a scalp. How can Switzerland go 3-1 down against France and beat them in penalties? Scotland go 3-1 down against France and they're getting hammered 5-1. Correct. Yeah. Right? Correct. So, so, now, so you watch that and you learn and you say, OK, this is what we do. We need to grow into tournament football again. But I think we've got the nucleus of the hub of a team that can qualify for tournaments. We now need to... I'm fed up getting to major tournaments and being the first home, you know, and, and, and until we break that cycle, you know, we'll just continue. So we have to start learning. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm just not so sure we have a team to qualify. I thought we're in the back door, but two games and penalty kicks and something called the Nations League. That's how we got there, and then we get yeah. pumped out straight away. So that's nah. that to me is exactly where we are, and it was great. I mean, I got the nation going, and everyone was excited, and it's the first time, and young people were engaged in the game. That was all brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. But when you when you Pour down to the basic facts there. You know, we get we get we get put out, we weren't good enough. And when I talked about Austria and Switzerland, every one of their players looked comfortable on the ball. We need every one of our players to be comfortable on the ball. And they don't. We've got I think four or five good, very good, excellent players. And then the rest of them are kind of workman like guys. And that'll never cut it. And that's why teams like Austria, I mean we've got we get, is it Denmark and Austria? Are another group. Yeah, well, next two, yeah. We're, we're, well, I'm trying to be optimistic, but we're not going out of that group. We're not qualifying for Qatar. Whether you want to go to Qatar is a different thing. But Denmark and Austria in, in, in the same group, really tough, really, really tough. Man, I'm not disputing anything that you're saying. I'm just saying we have to take, we have to learn lessons from this and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and make ourselves better and be able to yeah. cope. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I don't... Well, I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I'll worry about Scotland at another time because for the next 48 hours, I am an Italian. <laughs> I will be supporting the Italian team, not just because it's Italy, but I think they've they've produced some of the, the best football at the tournament. They've been fun to watch. They've kind of cast aside this, this Italian... Um, stereotype of them love they do love defending they do celebrate when they when they defend well but you know they've got some fantastic attack na- talent there like Chiesa Insigne Immobile Barella they, all names that if you didn't know them before you certainly do now and uh, and I think it's going to be an exciting match whatever happens but um, thank you very much everybody for watching that's all we have time for today um, that was your Axon Friday crew uh, with Tony, Jim and myself. We will see you again very, very soon. Marketers Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Social Podcast Network. Sports 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 Social Podcast Network. Network.